Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming Dramatic Takes on Your Favorite Games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. Dylan's back. I don't have to do another weird experimental thing this week. Woo! It was good, That's though. That's exciting. What? It was good, though. I'm glad. I had fun doing it. But this week, now that there are two of us, we're, we're going to do something. Um, I'm <laughs> a little bit in the dark as to what that is, except I know it's at least based on our uh, our kind of traditional spot the dud, guess what the game's ratings kind of are game, except this time Dylan's going to be in the driver's seat. Uh, yeah. Dylan, uh, w- what sort of special have you prepared for me today? Uh, well, this is really me diving more into the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the reviews of... Um... I don't know where I'm going with this bit. You threw me <laughs> off with the accent. Sorry. <laughs> I'm glad that no. you went with me on that weird journey. <laughs> Okay, anyway, yes. Um, the, the game that Chris uh, employed was Spot the Dud. Here, I feel like there are obvious duds, and there are obvious successes, so I can't really go with that. All right. But I, I guess, like, this is, this is going to be kind of more of a reverse thing. I, Chris, what I have in front of me are reviews of, like, various uh, video game franchises, and these are the first entries of their transitions to 3D. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we got, All we got right. Super Mario 64, we got Sonic Adventure, Bubsy 3D, uh, you know, the worst. <laughs> I beg your fucking pardon? <laughs> Did you not know about Bubsy 3D? <laughs> Googling now. Okay, I was about to say, listeners, listeners, if you have not seen, like, even a screenshot so no, I'm, I'm not going to Google 3D, it, I'm going to let myself be surprised by the review. Okay, okay. But, like, listeners, for you out there... Uh, if you have not seen Bubsy 3D, pause this podcast. It's all right. I won't be offended. Just look up like 30 seconds of Bubsy 3D and run on back. <laughs> all right. It is a mess. All right. I'm I'm real excited now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, ah, God, where do I want to start even? I guess I should start with like the one that is still regarded a masterpiece. Let's start with Super Mario 64. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, I guess, like, Chris, uh, since we're we're already, like, kind of going off the rails with this one, I want you to guess, like, a score range for Mario 64. This okay. is a contemporary, not contemporary, but, like, you know, when the game was yeah. released. This was I'm gonna the contemporary guess review. it was in the, like, high 8 to low 9 range. Interesting. The measure of a video game, one of them, rather, for they are legion, can be <laughs> taken by the degree... Yeah, I love that. I love that line. Fuck. 
can be taken by the degree to which it provides an entertaining challenge, breaks new ground, and or overcomes current designs, assumptions, and prejudices. Prejudices. If a game can best those uh, that came before it in some way, that's good. If it can do this while offering a wholly new type of experience, that's great. And if it can uh, so irresistibly draw a picky, opinionated, jaded game reviewer, like yours almost always, perfectly truly, into deep emotional concern for the well-being of one dumpy little plumber whom he never cared much for in the first place, well, that's revolutionary. Who is who is this wordsmith employed by IGN? <laughs> uh, oh my god. What? It's not credited. It is by GameSpot staff. Oh. Fuck! Come on, GameSpot! <laughs> okay. This is making me making my review guess trend higher. Yes, yes. Uh, let's see. Hardcore, Demento Gamers, and Media Types knew it a year before its release. Game deity Miyamoto-san certainly knew it even as he designed it. I'm, collective mind I'm of Nintendo, falling in... I'm in the sunken <laughs> place, Dylan. You've cast <laughs> me into a deep platform. well. Am I right, gamers? Oh, f- <laughs> fuck. Uh, let's see. Wow, okay. Uh, everyone knows this is the conclusion. Everybody knows that somewhere in the good book of games, there's a common law stating that the play's the thing. But I'm gonna commit a mortal sin here and tender a little heresy. Even beyond the sheer gameplay... This is, like, very college freshman-y. I love this. <laughs> This is a guy who took exactly one literature analysis class and was like, I can be a games journalist now. Oh my god. (laughs) Even beyond the sheer gameplay, the experience is the thing in Mario 64. Wait, what? The gameplay is the... I mean, I guess he's talking about the the environments and like the the visuals and the music and all that. Because I I guess like that's me with Metroid Prime, Um, but... Uh, with realms so vast and detailed, and yet so... He called them realms. <laughs> and yet so graphically clean and simple. <laughs> what instinct... <laughs> I, oh so, I, Chris, I'm gonna be honest, I skimmed these reviews, and I'm actually <laughs> reading them for the first I'm time. Glad, I'm I... glad that we're both being able to experience this raw... <laughs> Oh shit! Oh shit! <laughs> I have to go back a little bit. Mario, okay. who's apparently been spending a- this, this just became Dylan roasted some poor uh, games journalist from twenty years ago. <laughs> hey, we as an industry and we as people who like games have come a long way in the last two decades. No it's shade true. on you if you're out there, anonymous games like former GameSpot journalist <laughs> but like boy howdy I'm, i hope this is not your best work yeah I, I i hope you learned and and grew from this article <laughs> <laughs> you know 23 years is a long time yeah uh anyway uh no longer content to merely jump run and jump he sports a whole gaggle of new moves including punch kick combos the aforementioned flying abilities fairly graceful swimming techniques a breakdancing style foot sweep a running long jump a somersaulting pound-the-ground attack, a wall-rebound kick that would make Jackie Chan proud, a belly-slide <laughs> attack reminiscent of Arnold Schwarzenegger in True Lies. What are you talking <laughs> about? a truly spectacular standing double-gainer backflip, which wouldn't have been out of place in The Crow. Can you feel the 90s? I'm... I'm dead. <laughs> it is palpable. 
That's incredible. This review is. I mean, like, of course, this this review, this review belongs in the fucking Smithsonian. <laughs> this is such a time capsule. I love it. I love it with all my heart. But yeah. Anyway, so Mario sixty four made this guy a true believer. Yeah, Mario, um, Mario sixty four changed this man's life, and I'm happy for him. And 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 to be fair, I I started playing. I mean, like, I, I played, I rented Mario 64 a couple times when I was a kid, but I wasn't, you know, good at enough at games to really appreciate it. Um, and I had it on the DS, but, like, the contr- I never really gelled with the controls on that version. Yeah. So I actually, I actually started playing it in earnest, like, a couple months ago. And to be fair, that game has held up in, like, way better than I expected. Oh, yeah, to. no, I, I played a lot of that as a kid on my hand-me-down N64 and I think that my my opinion on a lot of that like first generation of 3D games is that there are some really really great games that came out of it. I have a hard time with people who make claims like Mario 64 or Ocarina of Time or whatever like some of the best games ever made. I think it's very fair to say that they are some of the most important games ever made from a like yeah making the leap to this new technology point of view and mario 64 definitely holds up better than a lot of early 3d adopters and 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 usually like when i when i hear people like talk about like oh this isn't the best game i i usually counter with like no but it's probably called the best because they mean most important and we should really make that distinction yeah it's it is ludicrous to claim that a game like mario 64 is better in terms of like what it is trying to do than just to pick the most recent one, Mario Odyssey, for example. Yeah. Like, but without Ocarina Mario time, 64, it, we would not have Mario Odyssey. Yeah. Ocarina of Time isn't even remotely in my... Like, it's ju- it just barely makes it to my top five Zelda games. Mm-hmm. That being said, I, I would still say Ocarina of Time is the most important game in the Zelda series. And a lot of the things it does, I feel like some other Zelda games still haven't quite yeah. surpassed. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a topic for another day. But um, I guess speaking of Ocarina of Time, let's go to Ocarina. Oh wait, no, you got it. So you guessed the score. Uh, with that in mind, what what do you what are you thinking now? I'm gonna guess just based on th- this man's dissertation. <laughs> I'm gonna get. <laughs> I'm gonna give it like a nine point eight to ten. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, because you were about equally as close. Uh, in both of your guesses, what, it was like a nine point four. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I'm what curious what part of were. this religious experience that this man is documenting in this review prevented it from being a perfect ten, based on what he's saying about it. But I'm actually trying. I'm skimming the review right now, and I can't see a single negative thing that this guy said. <laughs> so that's interesting. <laughs> Yikes! All right, <laughs> all right. We spent too long on that, but that was that was a joy to read. No, I, I'm. I, no I we spent exactly enough time on that. Oh, did I not pull up Ocarina of Time? I guess I didn't really care enough, but because everyone and their mother talks about Ocarina. Yeah, of time. Ocarina of Time is still brought up as like one of the best games of all time. Like every time a publication does that list. Yeah, and it's like so. okay, slow your roll there. <laughs> it's great. Um, I love but, it. It's not. It is. Maybe in my top five Zelda games, I don't think it makes it into my top ten games of all time at no. all. <laughs> no, I have a love hate relationship with this game, but like it's, I don't even, I wouldn't even say hate, but like you get what I mean. Yeah, no. I, I guess I'll just skip right to the end. Even if you're specifically looking for it, it's hard to find a fault in Ocarina of Time. 
Okay, to be fair, there's a slight bit of slowdown in a couple locations, such as the Water Temple, but it isn't frequent or harmful enough to even matter. The game offers a nice challenge, a stunningly well-told story, and the gameplay to back it all up. This game is the real thing. This is the masterpiece the that real people will still be say. talking about <laughs> ten years down the road. This is the game that perfectly exhibits the quality-not-quantity mantra that Nintendo has been touting since the Nintendo 64 was released. In a word, perfect. To call it anything else would be a bald-faced lie. That's a pretty so I, I feel like review. you can guess what the score is. Huh? Like, gotta, gotta well, say... Well, I, I skipped to the, the last paragraph. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, that game... Like, that reviewer hit the nail on the head. It is the kind of game that people were talking about 10 and even 20 minute, twenty years after yeah, it was released. Yeah, we're, we're, we're still talking about it. <laughs> yeah, here on our podcast in the year of our Lord 2019. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you think people will be talking about Undertale in 10 years? I think so. Probably. Probably. Hmm. <laughs> it's hard for me to, to get a gauge on that because it's definitely a high score. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to guess it's in the nines. Yeah, the scores are impossible to tell from <laughs> these things. I'm going <laughs> to oh, guess shit, in the this nines. Oh, Jeff Gerstmann. I of, uh, of Giant Bomb. Oh, dang, really? Super cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to guess 9-7. Haha, it was a 10. Ah, I should have known. It didn't say anything negative, but neither did the last one. Yeah, like he, he basically said like, you know, like it's it's got sl- it's got faults, but... I, I think like he he's basically saying it is greater than the sum of its parts. Like, yeah, it does and so I think much that that's right that's that... definitely true. Yeah. All right. So let's go to like some of the uh you know some of the ones that aren't universally regarded as classics. Okay. Uh, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, this isn't a bad game. Uh, we're we're looking at Star Fox 64 right now. Oh, I love I mean, it. I feel like I feel like once we go through the trifecta of like good Nintendo 64 games. Then we can uh, spiral off into some of the other entries. Hey, Star Fox on the on the Super Nintendo was in 3D. I mean, yeah, but I couldn't find a, I couldn't <laughs> no, I find a review mean. for Star Fo- the original Star Fox no, on I'm, Gamespot. I'm just being I'm just um, being a shit. And more importantly, I'm going to talk about the contemporary review for Star Fox Two. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. I really hope this is the same reviewer. No, it's not. This this guy's credited. I just like this first paragraph. It uh. It's Max. Um, it is a shame that Nintendo can't clone Miyamoto, the genius behind the Mario and Zelda games. He is... <laughs> and believe me, they've tried. They've tried. <laughs> they've tried, and they've had mixed success. Where do you think Suda51 came from? <laughs> I'm sorry. Suda51's just a clone of Miyamoto. Just, that's, like a, uh, a not-quite-one-to-one not quite clone. <laughs> Miyamoto got his inspiration from exploring the woods uh, near his home, and Suda51 listened to a shit ton of, po- of punk rock. Yeah, that was what was playing in the office where they kept his tube. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Star Fox 64, the sequel to the Super Nintendo title Star Fox, is a shooter in the truest sense. Um, as happens in Star Fox uh, predecessors... Weird that they did that plural when Star Fox 2 never came out, but I guess shooting games. Uh, you fly along and blast your, away your enemies while powering up your weapons, but Star Fox 64 adds quality gameplay twists that rival the game's incredible 3D graphics. These features include multiple gameplay paths, which take you through various levels depending on how well you play, including a Tomorrowland-like city, a meteor-filled uh, corner of space, and a post-apocalyptic battleground. 
uh, blah 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 blah. Not only is the animation incredibly smooth, but every polygonal building and ship is finely detailed. The enemies are also quite varied. In fact, the final boss, Andros, even qualifies as menacingly scary. And like, to be fair, Andros even then was like uncanny as hell. Yup. <laughs> The game is a pleasure to look at and does the Star Wars-like storyline justice with truly with a truly cinematic quality. And, like, to be fair, I think, like, it is kind of cheesy, but, like, there are some angles and camera shots when you're starting a level that, like, look good even today. Yeah, and um, again, it's, it's worth remembering, if you look at what Star Fox 64 did and compare it to what the previous console generation was capable of... It's pretty astonishing. Um, I, I like this entry uh, near the end. Uh, the interaction between the four main characters make for some of the most entertaining voiceovers yet heard in the video game and proves that the Nintendo 64 doesn't need a CD drive to offer a vast array of speech. In fact, a third of the game's cartridge is used for the memorable chatter, which includes such lines as, Let's show the monkey who's boss! And, Oh no! Which is shrieked by Slippy, whose gender is, sadly, never revealed. <laughs> What? I just like the, I <laughs> right. What is the, um yo, Glenn uh, I'm not going to be able to sleep at night until I know what this frog's pronouns are. Can't can't frogs change their gender based on the environment or was that just in Jurassic Park? I do not know. I I I never thought to do the deep dive into the the mindscape of Michael Crichton. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll take him at his at his word. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, let's see. Star Fox 64 is the kind of game you will spend many sleepless nights with, even after you finish. The replay value will bring you back again and again. God, I missed it when reviewers considered replay value. Uh, <laughs> Nintendo 64 owners who have been waiting to embark on their next great gaming adventure should have run out immediately and buy Star Fox 64. The graphics, sound, and gameplay all combine to create an instant Nintendo 64 classic. It's a shame Nintendo didn't think so and stopped making Star Fox games after a while. <laughs> It's a shame that, like, fucking gaming as a culture moved away from short, replayable, yeah, that's, uh, like, I, single-session games. I'm glad it's moving back to that in, like, the indie space a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But, man, now it's now a game needs to be playable forever. Not replayable, just forever playable. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> if there's um, not 400 hours of content, I don't want to talk to you. I've spent like eighty hours playing Star Fox sixty four. Oh yeah, I've, like, I've played, I've spent over a hundred hours on fucking Downwell. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've spent more time playing Star Fox sixty four than I have most Final Fantasy games. <laughs> huh? I'm, I'm again leaning. I think this one isn't as high as like I don't. I don't know what it is. I can't give you. Anything it's I not Mario 64, and it's not Zelda. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not one of these games that's still being talked about. Yeah. But the thing is, there's nothing in the text of that review that would make me go lower. I guess, like, for me, the thing is, like, Zelda and Mario, they didn't just reinvent the wheel. They created a new wheel yeah. to reinvent. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess 8.9. Oh, man, I wish you were right. Uh, it's actually 8.3. <laughs> which okay. like is like a very like <laughs> i don't get it like he didn't say anything negative in what you read uh i mean like there's probably something well again i think it's because like it doesn't reinvent the wheel yeah, but I like mean, it what it does is like so good <laughs> yeah like it's it's the difference of you know zelda taking this formula and 
completely reworking it to work in 3D, whereas Star Fox was just like, we're doing the same thing, but with more polygons. And I get that. Yeah. But, yeah. like, I don't know. I think that game's better than that. But, again, these numbers mean nothing, so I guess fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we can we can do the playbill now if you want. Or should I should I read Star Fox 2's review? Uh, I, I kind of actually do want to. All right. Do, do, just, do Star just, Fox 2, and then we'll do the playbill, and then to... we'll come back for some stinkers. <laughs> Just to end the uh, the so, good portion of the episode. By the good portion, I mean like it's kind of a dour ending for the good portion. But so talking about some of the game design, blah blah blah. Don't care about that. Skipping right to the end. Uh, <laughs> however, the biggest factor that holds back Star Fox Two is its poor technical performance. While we can boil it down to the lack of system resources the original developers had to work with on this uh, Super Nintendo. I'll just say SNES. Why don't I just say SNES? The Super Knowing Famicom. Knowing this doesn't... <laughs> Super Famicom. Uh, you'll find yourself mindlessly following target indicators since it's nearly impossible to track enemy ships uh, in the game. It's hard to enjoy the pace of fights when Star Fox 2 almost, runs almost like a slideshow. Star Fox 2 can be praised for the ambitious structure that seemed to be ahead of its time, but the enjoyable moments are hamstrung by modern standards and expectations. Frame rate issues and tech that wasn't suited for this style of game prevent Star Fox 2's vision from being fully realized, but it's an important piece of gaming history kept alive with an official release. This game alone isn't the driving force to seek out a Super Nintendo classic, and you'll... And uh, I read that with the wrong inflection, but whatever. And you'll want to consider the most time-tested games in the pa in the package. I guess, like, the thing that kind of bothers me about this review is that, like, it should be reviewed as a sequel to Star Fox 1 and not as, you know, a game that's coming out in 2016, uh, 17, okay, whenever so this it came was out. The, this was the review for the edition that came with the SNES, SNES Classic. Classic. Okay. Yeah, yeah like... Because yeah. it, it never came out until then. And I guess I get... I get where they're coming from, and I think that it's not unfair as a reviewer writing in 2016 to prepare people with the expectations that we have in 2016. Mm -hmm. That said, that does feel a little bit like not giving the game credit for what it does well. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I also haven't played Star Fox 2, so I, I can't speak as definitively on this one. But Yeah, like it's... Well, actually, Star Fox 2 is... I don't know if I would say it top Star Fox 64, but, like, Star Fox 2 is, like, one of my favorite games on... In addition to being one of my favorite games on the Super Nintendo, it's one of my favorite Star Fox games. Okay. I love Star Fox 2. I might have to give that one a uh, look. It's, you know, obviously the technical limitations do hold it down a little bit, but, like, I don't know, going from Star Fox 1 to Star Fox 2, like, I didn't really notice or care. Um... Like, it's not going to be as smooth as TIE Fighter, for example. Well, sure. Um, but it's also a fundamentally different game from TIE Fighter. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, you, you get what I'm saying. Star yeah. Fox 2 also, is more of a... Hmm? God, now I want to go play X-Wing v TIE Fighter again. <laughs> I played that game <laughs> so much as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I guess tie, TIE Fighter does also have more of a sim element to uh, its yeah. control scheme and such. But yeah, so I'll just list the good and the bad, and then we'll go to the playbill once we discuss that a little bit. The good, land vehicle sequences are fun and would have been impressive in the mid-90s. Uh, freedom of approach to managing the threat of incoming enemies is a thrill. So Star Fox 2 uh, is more of like a tower defense game where like you send your ships where to go, and they'll take care of whatever problem. I don't know if you ever played Star Fox Command on the DS. I did not. I imagine not. Uh, I was the Star Fox uh, kid. It, it kind of had like a similar like tower defense, you gotta protect the Great Fox... Okay. Um, on a map and like you would send your ships out to intercept other ships that's kind of rad it's kind of rad it, it wasn't very good though but Star Fox 2 took that like it was done better in the 90s than on the <laughs> DS 
um, is basically what I'm saying. But it's it's pretty fun. It's got like such an open approach to progression, and especially when you play it on the harder difficulties, because when you're playing on the default, it's like a ten minute game. But like when you play on the harder difficulties, you have to make harder decisions about where to go. And I don't know. It's really fun. I really dig it. Um, but anyway, amb ambitious off rails 3D space battles. Uh, the bad is poor performance makes combat a drag. It lacks the first game's sense of adventure. I'm not sure I agree with that. I feel like it's more of like a player-based narrative. Um, but uh, it's too short to savor. I also don't know if I agree with that. Like, on the default difficulty, maybe. But um, And then also, flying solo or as a duo lacks the engaging shows of camaraderie uh, found in other Star Fox games. Which I guess is fair. Like, you don't really have a lot of the blurbs that you would get in uh, Star Fox 1. But, like... I played Star Fox 1. It doesn't have a lot of those blurbs either. Yeah. That really wasn't a thing until 64, so... Yeah. They're there, but know. they're not um, all-encompassing. Like, I, I'm not bashing this reviewer, because I, I definitely get where the criticism's coming from, but I also feel like you kind of have to look at it as a time... And I, I guess he does that. Like, he's not saying... He's saying you shouldn't buy it... You shouldn't spend $70 just to play this game. Right. Um, if that's why you're eyeing the SNES Classic. And That's to be fair. fair, it is coming out for free in, as of recording this video, it's coming out for free if you are subscribed to Nintendo's online service in four days. Oh, sweet. It's going to be so, part of the, the SNES? The, yeah, the, the, the SNES classics on the uh, the Switch. Dope. Love that. I'll have yeah, to, give, so, that I'll have to yeah. give that a look once that comes out. Yeah. Um, you know, approach it with an open mind. But yeah. like, yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, time for the playbill. All right. Playbill time. Now that we're in the playbill, hello everyone. This is where we talk about other things we're working on and other things we're doing. And uh, to start that off, hey, Dylan. So Chris, I established just now that I really love dogfights in space. It's true. Uh, you know, there's there's plenty of shows and anime and movies, even Star Wars, you know. Uh, they all have dogfights in space, but I want to talk today about... A special a very show special called special dogfight in space <laughs> <laughs> called Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. That is a mouthful, I know. It's usually abbreviated to SDF Macross or just Macross. And uh, Chris, you and I, we both have a mutual friend named Coop. It's and, true. And uh, I, I, I host a show with him called Dude, You Remember Macross. That's like Dude, as in Dude, Where's My Car? I should have um, And every time Coop says it, <laughs> every time Coop. I oh yeah yeah thank you I love you um, but every time every time Coop uh, says it now he he kind of side eyes you it's really <laughs> I'm sure um but yes yeah, so we we watch the show and it's associated media and we talk about it it's a really cool old show about like dogfights in space but also it looks at um various things about like technology uh, the military pop culture. Um, a little bit of idol culture that will become more and more prevalent as the decades roll by and we go to, the, like, the more modern <laughs> entries in the series. But uh, it's been a fun ride so far. I've I've seen elements of the show that, like, I was not expecting uh, from, like, my initial viewing of other media. I'm rambling now. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's really cool. Uh, you should, if you want to check it out, uh, you should find us on anchor.fm slash dude you remember. 
And we are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Hell yeah. You should also check out our friends over at The Unexplored Places. They're an actual play podcast currently. As of recording, I think they're four episodes into season two, so it's a great time to hop on board if you like actual play shows, if you like science fiction, if you like people making really dumb jokes. I spent a good portion of a recently released episode talking about Sky Fieri, space restaurant enthusiast. Oh my god. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's a great time. The first season is also a great listen if you want to, you know, marathon through something spooky and funny and really delightful. And you can find all of their stuff at libsyn.com slash unexploredcast or by going to unexploredcast on Twitter. You should go check out the HP Video Game Podcast Network. They are a network of podcasts that we belong to and we are very grateful to. And it's a bunch of podcasts looking at video games from a variety of different angles. There's sort of games newscasts. There's podcasts that look at the game development side of things. There's more interview-based casts. There's more just conversational casts. Whatever you like about video games, there's a podcast there for you, and you can find them on Twitter at HPVGPodNetwork. You should also, if you like what we do and want to support us, go check out our Patreon. This show is brought to you by patrons like you, maybe. And if you like what we do, patreon.com slash bsgpod is the best way to help us do it more and do it better. I think that's everything. All right. I suppose Good. it's back into the abyss we go. Mm, the abyss of early 3D games. <laughs> I don't know what this bit is, but I like it. All right, yes. we're out the other side. Dylan, um, what what sort of bad poop have you prepared for us today? Um, well, not bad poop, but let's talk about F-Zero X. Oh, fuck, I love F-Zero X. So good. Anyway, let's talk about how this reviewer did not agree with us. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's fair. I just, I just want to throw this out there. We are having fun here. Opinions are valid. I don't expect everyone to like all the games I like. I'm right. excited to see what this person had to say about F-Zero X. As much as I might disagree with it, that's chill. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. So, instead of trying to compare it to its 16-bit counterpart, we'll dissect F-Zero X purely on its own merits. After all, the bar has been raised for racing games in general over the past few years. And I guess, to be fair, the only racing games I ever really played from that era were Mario Kart and Diddy Kong Racing. So, you know, I, I never really played Gran Turismo, I never really played a lot of, like, the big racing games of that time outside of, you know, the Nintendo Fair. Yeah. Uh, this is Twitch gaming at its best. Although you can tinker with the basics, like acceleration and speed, that's about all you get to do. Everything else is just about driving. Playing like a wipeout without weapons, which was like playing F-Zero with weapons, F-Zero X's only added enhancements are the inclusion of dash plates located at various points around the track. When you run over one of these plates, you get a severe speed boost that doesn't cost you any, any energy. After the second lap, you get a power boost that you can use at any time, but it takes away some of your energy, enabling you to blast past some of your opponents. However, they too can use these plates. And, you know, he goes in to talk about, like, a lot of the mechanics uh, for a paragraph, and then after that he says, So, what's the problem with F-Zero X? Uh, for starters, with up to 30 different racers on screen at any given point, some sacrifices had to be made in order to keep the insane frame rate so high. Polygon counts on the vehicles are very low, giving them a particularly uninspiring look. The track detail is also very limited, given, uh, giving the track a Spartan feel to it. In its defense, the tracks are cleverly designed, especially the twisty corkscrew tracks that speed by at a blazing pace. One feature that's lacking is a first-person view. 
of speed was truly supposed to be on display here. A cockpit view would definitely have helped, but alas, there is none to be found. Like, what? Uh, like, control is I pretty good. I get what he's saying, but that would be unplayable and nausea-inducing. <laughs> to be fair, F-Zero GX has, um, has a first-person view, but I also feel like the F-Zero GX tracks are also wider. But anyway, uh, control is pretty good, although the analog stick can be kind of touchy in places, leading to a few inadvertent uh, fender benders. The sound effects are very good, and actually add to the feeling of speed in the game. And this is the one point that I vehemently disagree with. <laughs> Unfortunately, the music can be pretty annoying in a cheesy synthesized metal kind of way, and doesn't really add much to the whole experience. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> here, here's the thing, again, no accounting for taste. If the, if the music aesthetic of F-Zero X is not your thing, that's fine. But if you look at the cover art for this game and don't expect <laughs> overly cheesy, synthesizer-heavy, like, 80s rock... I can't do nothing for you, man. Like, I don't know what you're expecting. I, I'm fine with you not being into it, but, like, don't hold that against that this game when that's just the aesthetic that they're aiming for. Yeah, and I oh think my God. more importantly is, like... That, that is probably the point that's aged the least well, because overall, F-Zero GX is considered a better game than F-Zero X. But the one thing people say about it is, man, I really wish the music in this game was like F-Zero X. <laughs> <laughs> then it would be the perfect F-Zero game. Yeah, no, F-Zero, like, my, my approach to F-Zero X is fundamentally different from this reviewer's. He was reviewing it contemporary by the time I got around to playing F-Zero X, because it came out when I was a uh, four years old. Um, yeah. It was already, like, not as old as it is now, not as retro as it is now, but I probably didn't play it until the GameCube was well and truly out. So, like, I was coming at it from a point of view of, like, of course it's going to be boxy looking. Of course it's not going to yeah. look like the games I'm playing on the GameCube around and, the same time. And it's, it's a very fascinating, like, retrospect look where, like, yeah, all this other stuff, I, like, I don't even really realize it's missing because graphics have progressed so much since then that, like, you know... Yeah, I I am not as attuned to the difference in quality between something like Mario 64 and F-Zero X... Right, right. ...as I would have been were I playing these games in 1998. Yeah, so, like, that is actually a super valid complaint to have. Yeah. But it's also one that doesn't hold up very well because, like... You know, the dishwater graphics of F-Zero X don't really... Like, now that I'm an adult playing F-Zero X, I can look at the first Mute City track and be like, Oh man, it looks just like it does in Smash Brothers Melee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like, you know, the, the color choice and the uh, the music and the silky smooth 60 frames per second all impressed me more than like... Hell the yeah, the fact of... that this game was running at 60 FPS on the fucking N64 is is incredible like i don't even think because because the levels are so minimalistic i don't even think there's like a fog of war to the tracks you can see like everything that's in front of you and you can prepare for it yeah it's it's very impressive and i i am of the opinion that like as long as it doesn't interfere with my ability to play graphical quality is like one of the least important things in a game to me I'll be but impressed this, if this it's was like, also if it in a time where immersion was like the defining factor of like three D games. Th this is this is we're we're just in the right era to be in that like David Lynch Sega Saturn immerse your body, <laughs> mind, and soul eye. in the game. 
kind of ad <laughs> campaign. So I guess that tracks. Everyone watch our live episode. Yeah, go um, back anyway. to I think it's I think it's like episode twenty, twenty one, nineteen ish, somewhere up in there. Yeah, it's like twenty minutes. It was that, a lot of fun. That era, yeah. Um, uh, era. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That distant past. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I can't begrudge this review too much. I do think like the idea that you would look at, and I'll, I'll tweet the cover of this game just because I'm talking about it so much, but you would look at this and not expect synth-heavy 80s jams. My favorite confuses thing. Confuses me to no end. My favorite thing about the F-Zero X uh, soundtrack is that you start it up, and when you get to the Nintendo 64, like, bio load or uh, splash screen or whatever you want to call it, like, it just shows, shows the N64 logo, and, like, the... The cheesiest, like, 80s guitar metal lick <laughs> that you can ever possibly hear. And it's so good. And then it just cuts right to the title screen with, like, the... Oh my god, it's so gloriously cheesy. I love it so much. What is the next vintage you've brought for us today? Oh, wait, sorry. You A, you have to uh, oh, guess right. the score. And B, I have to finish reading. Um, First is... Uh, as a game, F-Zero X is certainly thorough in its execution. Unfortunately, there just seems to be very little in the game to keep you coming back. Vehemently disagree with that. I'm yeah, playing no. this game still, like, 20 <laughs> years later. Uh, like, for the... Anyway. Uh, sure, Nintendo incorporated all those funky characters to give it, um, character. But the game erases all that good stuff with its overwhelming blandness. Yes, the game can be fun in multiplayer, being supersonic and all that, but the game just lacks those certain intangibles that make a good game great. Practically flawless from a technical standpoint, the biggest thing missing from F-Zero X is that it lacks a soul. It's yet another stunning update to the legendary Nintendo catalog, but it's games like this that make you wonder, where's Metroid 64 or Donkey Kong 64? Back to the drawing board, it seems. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right, like, like, I mean... I I Again, get it. No accounting for taste. It's not that this game doesn't have a soul, it's that this game's aesthetic is not for you, it sounds like. Yeah, basically. Anonymous game reviewer from the mists of time. Like, this is Twitch gaming at its best, but oh man, I really wish... Like, and I... I again, I, I get the criticism, but also, like, I have not played another game that plays like F-Zero X, even GX. Um, yeah. GX is, like, a very smoother uh, game to play, but, like, you know, it's, like, the difference between driving auto and manual. Mm -hmm. uh, F-Zero X is, like, a lot more punishing for, like, careless driving than GX is, and there's something about that that makes races really, like, you're gripping the controller. Yeah. Uh, it's so good. But anyway, what's, what's your score? I'm gonna guess 7.8. You know what? It's funny you say that, because this is... Probably the first and one of the only games we'll get on this segment uh, that has a 7.5, just like straight down the middle. Huh. Which, you I know, was closer. that's refreshing. <laughs> I want more uh, games that use a number point system to just yeah. just commit to 0.5. Yeah, get, get out of... I, I want more reviewers not to use a number point system, but that's I mean, just me. True, true. <laughs> that's one of the things I really like about Kotaku. Fuck the yeah. haters. Kotaku um, and Polygon both do a much better job of their reviews. Get at me. Just don't use a number. Just tell me yeah. what you're thinking. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, all right. So now let's move on to... Uh... All right. So I'll make this one quick. Uh, we won't talk about the review. Um, I just want to read the, subhe uh, the subheading for the Mega Man Legends review for the PS1. Okay. 
It's deftly avoided the pitfalls that await most platformers making the jump from 2D to 3D by creating an action RPG instead. Which, like, <laughs> no, but, like, I, I get that, and I, I kind of respect that, because Mega Man, I feel like, is a very hard formula to replicate in 3D. Yeah, that's and definitely the one time fair. It tried, the one time it tried in Mega Man X7 was terrible. <laughs> like, Mega Man X7 is, I, I, I want to just say right now, I think it is the worst Mega Man game. There's probably one or two that, like, are even worse than Mega Man X7, but I, I don't think so. I think Mega Man... It also sucks because Mega Man X7, I think, was the first uh, 2D Mega Man I ever played, but it has 3D segments, and both of them play terribly. Not a great game. But anyway, Mega Man Legends, I think, you know, they, they were smart to be like, let's not even try to capture the spirit of Mega Man in 3D. Let's try for something new and ke- uh, keep developing Mega Man in 2D. More interesting, though, is this paragraph I just scrolled down to. (laughs) Visually, Mega Man Legends is a mixed bag. Now, Chris, visually, I think Mega Man Legends is one of the best games to hold up today. (laughs) Let's take a look. Uh, Visually, Mega Man Legends is a mixed bag. Those of you used to stunning graphics achievements of... (laughs) Oh. Those of you used to the stunning graphic achievements of games like Tobol 2... You've probably never even heard of Tobol. I've never heard of Tobol? Tobol is a Square Enix-developed fighting game that I think was created by the creator of Tekken. And look that game up. That is a... Well, the environments look nice, I guess. But wait, no, they're JPEGs. That is is some Final Fantasy VII looking... (laughs) Oh, man, look at this Abe's Odyssey motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean... Yikes. Also, Tobol 2, not considered a particularly good fighting game. (laughs) Yeah, no, okay, so... I'm I'm currently side by siding some screen grabs from Mega Man Legends and some screen grabs from Tobol Two, and I get where they're coming from. It's the it's the good old a, mm-hmm. it's that good old point of view of like this is stylized and therefore its graphics are not as good. Yeah, where I would We're, argue that the fact that Mega Man Legends is stylized means that like these sprites hold or not sprites but these models hold up. They're rough around the edges. They're jagged. It was the fucking. It was like, what, 2001? There was a lot of aliasing in Mega Man Legends. And I guess yeah. to give Tobol 2 anything, it looks like the characters have a higher poly count. Yeah, but than, like, um, they have a ho- like, higher poly count, terrible. but those polygons are being used to render poop. Yeah, like, they they are untextured. They look... Like, they. I would say they look Final Fantasy VII, but honestly, like, some characters in FF7 look better, even yeah, if they true. have less polygons. <laughs> God, and you know the the pre-rendered backgrounds look nice. As yeah, was the like there's 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 stuff in, the in here that it's not a, the ugliest game I've ever seen. The character models for Mega Man Legends are way more like aesthetically pleasing to look at. Yeah, uh, Tobol Two has higher poly count and better animation. But like, if you asked me which game I would rather play today in the year of our Lord 2019, Mega Man Legends is so much easier to look at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much. Anyway. Yeah, it's it's funny. Hindsight's 2020. Yeah. Um, which is next year. Well, not year. until next year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, Mega Man Legends... Uh, so anyway, yeah, stunning graphic achievements of games like Tobol 2 or Crash Bandicoot might find this a bit disappointing, as Mega Man Legends relies almost exclusively on flat-shaded polygons, giving everything a boxy, Crayola-colored look to it. The game benefits from this, however, as the horizon and the considerable amount of structures and buildings are rendered almost infinitely with uh, virtually no pop-up. 
The backgrounds and textures, while simple, capture the essence of the old 2D games and do a fairly good job of bringing them to life in 3D. So, you know, like right. he he comes around on he it. He comes around we, we on were, it. We were we were jumping we were jumping on this dude a little hard. Yeah, but I, I'm still I'm still gonna roast him. Till Wall Two, really? That's yeah, the game that's, you're gonna. Pick? That's a hell of a pull. <laughs> like it's telling that like I'm the only person between the two of us that remembers Tovall number two and i think <laughs> that's because i saw like i saw it on a demo disc somewhere or i think it had the ff7 demo disc uh back in the day uh it's it is a fucking forgotten piece of history square enix history anyway let's talk about bubsy 3d oh no <laughs> of all the 3d action platform games after the playstation bubsy 3d is the least fun Oh, this is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, okay, you're looking at it now. <laughs> oh my god. Um, this so game isn't finished. There, there is actually a Matt McMuscles What Happened episode on Bubsy 3D. And it's, I'm going to have to give actually, that a look because this is not I, a completed game. I highly recommend you do because it's a fascinating story. But yes, no, this is not a completed game. 5.5. Uh, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the the bullshit and chat. That's fair. This is a five point five on Gamespot. Are you um, sure? And for good reason, I think. <laughs> is that high? Yeah, fair. Honestly, but uh, if the screenshots look particularly blood, it's because Bubsy 3D's designers decided to use the PlayStation's high res graphic mode and the game's only hint of innovation, usually reserved for title screens. The resulting polygonal worlds are detailed and cartoony, but extremely sparse, and the ugly texture maps barely help. I think there was actually an issue where their textures wouldn't load. Like, you know, that that was a game that got screwed over by um, Acclaim, I think. I think it was another company that was developing Bubsy 3D, but Accolade rushed them out yeah, the Yeah, this, this, just looking at it, has all of the hallmarks of a game that, like, they got a playable version that they were like, cool, now we can do all of like the fine tuning that we need to do. And the developer and like the publisher was like, lol, nope. <laughs> and like, I just, I think I just wanted to bring Bubsy 3d to your attention more than anything. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this, this reviewer though, uh, ahead of the time, there's also a fogging effect. Where did I find this? This is going to bother me. Oh, I'm just, I'm just like clicking through screenshots and I'm, I'm getting, Sonic 2006 vibes to the max. Yeah. This uh this uncredited uh reviewer said the music is extremely annoying. The composer succeeded all too well at capturing the sound of a Saturday morning theme song and the sound effects are merely average. Thank God the programmers included an option to turn off the sound bipes Bubsy spews during the game. After having to endure that lispy, grating voice two or three times, the player may be tempted to kill his or her television. Oh my god. You know, uh, full, full credit, though, for acknowledging that girls play games, too. Okay. Castlevania. Legacy of Darkness. Oh no. So, actually, here's the first thing I'm gonna say. The Castlevania 64 game got an 8.2 on, uh... On, on GameSpot. I haven't played any of that one. Um, I haven't either, but, like, uh, everything I've heard about it is that it is not a good game. It is, like, one of the uh, games that completely failed the jump to 3D. What is this box art? Are you looking at the Castlevania 64 yeah, box what art? Is... It's really bad. What? Who it's really bad. printed this? Who looked but at we're, this we're... and went, yep, that's what we need. We've got but we're not going to uh, talk about it. Our... We're not talking about Castlevania uh, 64 today. We are talking about Castlevania Legacy of Darkness. 
So this is basically Castlevania Special Edition. It is a re-release of Castlevania 64 with better, um, you know, basically tweaked gameplay and levels. And on top of that, it has a new wholly original campaign where you play as the werewolf Cornell. Look up the box art to Castlevania Legacy of Darkness. Oh, no, that's the one I was reacting way to. Way better. Oh, really? I like that. I, I well, actually, actually, let me look it up. I might be misremembering it. Like, I see what they're going for, but the execution is all over the place. Oh, wow, yeah, never mind. This box art is terrible. <laughs> I was, I misremembered. <laughs> it looks really bad. I was going to say, Dylan, again, I'm going to say no, no accounting for taste. I respect your opinion. This box art is the fuck. <laughs> Like, okay, dude, all I remember is the wolf standing on the box, and I'm like, oh man, I remember that looking cool as hell, and then I pulled it up, and I'm like, oh, but I forgot about everything else. Yeah, like, the, the design of the wolf is fine, the fact that it's backlit like this makes it look like someone who didn't know how to use Photoshop just slapped it on there at the last oh, minute. And, and the font for Legacy of Darkness? Yeah, no, this oh, is bad, bad, my man. Yeah, 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 no, no. <laughs> I I had forgotten. <laughs> uh, but also, yeah, there's the Castlevania 64 box art. Which is uh, also very well, bad. <laughs> which is also not very good. <laughs> um, complaints aside, Castlevania Legacy of Darkness is exactly what it sets out to be. A better version of the original. So yeah, uh, like I said, Castlevania, the 64 version got an 8.2. Um, it's honestly better review than you would think it would be. <laughs> yeah. Um. Because, like, I I'll, I'll, I will fully cop to, I have not played very much of either of these games. Mm-hmm. I think I rented Legacy of Darkness once. I played Legacy of Darkness for, like, maybe 30 minutes and said, nah, I think I'm good. <laughs> yeah, but, like, I, as someone who loves Castlevania and Metroidvania-style games, th- this this ain't it, fam. <laughs> oh, no. It, no. Uh, once titled, more accurately, Castlevania Special Edition... Castlevania Legacy of Darkness is what Konami's first Nintendo 64 Castlevania title was meant to be when it was released early this year. Everything from Castlevania 64 is present here in an enhanced Director's Cut version, which contains improved graphics, sound, and two extra scenarios featuring the new characters, Cornell the Werewolf and the young warrior Henry. Like the original, Castlevania Legacy of Darkness isn't very similar to Symphony of the Night on the PlayStation, but is a hardcore version of the early titles in the series set in 3D. Taking place eight years, blah, 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 whatever. I'm going to skip ahead to the end. Um, I'm going to share a picture with you because this is the UK box art, and they got way better shit than we did. That's usually the case. Minnie complained about the lack of music, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I really don't care. I'm just going to skip to. Complaints aside, Castlevania Legacy of Darkness is exactly what it sets out to be, a better version of the original. If you loved the first one, there's enough added value to justify picking this this game up, even though it feels a little dated now, and its price is pretty steep. But if you're one of those people who felt that Castlevania should have never made the jump into 3D, Legacy of Darkness will do only a little more than the original in convincing you otherwise. It's funny because... The original game got like an eight point whatever. This got a seven point three. <laughs> okay, so it's better. It's a better I, game. I it. It's a better game. What the 7. fuck? 3. I guess like you know game that guy. Spot. I guess that guy who. Rev- I mean, it's probably different people who reviewed this game, but I guess like, you know. Yeah, but you can read the what the of. other guy said and keep your shit consistent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, peep I don't this, know. Peep this better. This better box art. Oh yeah, that's so much better. Like that's way better. That's what I remember the American box art being like. <laughs> <laughs> what final bon mot do you have for me this evening? Chris, 
of course, it has to be Sonic Adventure. Oh, it it wouldn't be us if it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) So, every once in a while, a game comes along that redefines the genre. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Listen, buddy, I need you to slow your roll. I like that you couldn't even get that sentence out without laughing. Like, I love Sonic Adventure. Sonic Adventure 2 is one of my top five games. Um, that's, and I, I mean that I, unironically. I respect you. That's fucking wild. Like, okay. But, like, <laughs> it's not because I think it's a particularly good game. It's just that what Sonic Adventure 2 does well, I don't think any other game has come close to capturing. That's fair. That's definitely fair. Like, it is I'm not going to stop giving con- you shit for it, but it's fair. It is, it is me being content with my table scraps. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Please look and I have some more. Yeah, like, Sega, if you make a Sonic Adventure 3 that is, like, actually a good game, <laughs> I would be happy. <laughs> Every once in a while, a game comes in and redefines the genre. But anyway, <laughs> Sonic Adventure simultaneously is and is not one of these games. That's fair. I think that's that, a weird. That's, okay, that's fair, but that's a very weird lead in to this. <laughs> like, I wouldn't start it like that. Yeah. In fact, it makes your review look really silly in retrospect. Yeah. It's like um, pre clickbait, clickbait. Yeah, yeah. It keeps the linearity and structure of a 2D game and brings for the first time real speed to a 3D platformer. Coincidentally, that's why I love these games, despite their datedness. Um, I don't think any other game has kind of had that linearity and structure, but also that that speed. Well, its level design almost never ceases to amuse, Sonic do, uh, does have a few signs of rush production that directly affect gameplay. The game's camera is the most notable issue, but collision problems occasionally show up as well. Uh, most of the time, the camera doesn't get in the way of play, but it's annoyingly spastic in tight areas, and it can get caught under floors and behind walls, sometimes resulting in unnecessary deaths. Collision very, problems very also, true. yeah, very true. Uh, collision problems also result in Sonic's untimely demise, sometimes yep. causing Sonic to careen straight through a normally solid wall. Yes, yep. like again, Sonic Adventure not nowhere near my top five. Sonic Adventure two, I, I, I oh, I thought you were saying Sonic Adventure was in your top five, and I was like, oh, my friend, no. do we need to have a conversation? No, also probably closer <laughs> to top ten, but like still. Like it might it might just be edged out of top five, but I don't actually rank games. So... Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, I just if you, I if you ask me for my these... top five games, that list will change day to day based yeah. on my mood when you ask me. Like usually, like it for me, it's just like here's a pool of some of my favorite games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some of the worst instances of bad camera work have been fixed up for the for the U.S. release, but some problems still remain. Either way, these problems don't ruin the game; wait, they only wait, add an occasional wait, element of wait, unwelcome frustration. Wait, yeah, the U.S. release was fixed. Y- yeah. Did J- did Japan did Japan like lose islands into the sea when this game was released? Because that's the only <laughs> thing I can imagine now. <laughs> The camera was so bad that earthquakes, like, (laughs) fuck. Yeah, yeah. These problems are minor irritations at most. I I love the uh, the optimism of this guy, because fucking reviewers who review, like, the re-releases of this game just tear into it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to remember, like, what 3D platformers were out by 2000. But uh, this guy starts with Sonic Adventure's graphics are easily the best in the 3D platformer, surpassed only by Soul Calibur's graphics. Soul Calibur had some pretty good graphics, especially for the time. Sonic Adventure? 
Oh god, what came out in 2000? Man. What was out in Mario 64 had already come out and like while Sonic might have like a little more polish to it. It's a higher there's... poly count the lighting. I I would say like Sonic yeah, Adventure. Yeah, I mean had I guess okay, lighting. if you're talking strictly like graphical specs level maybe. If you start looking at things like execution and animation. <laughs> oh yeah, like, you know, I I watched the extra fa- frames episode. Like Dan is completely right. The animation in Sonic Adventure is real bad. It's like there are good things in there, but boy, you have to dig to find them. I mean, I I wouldn't go that far. There, the game does have a bright and colorful aesthetic. That is, no, I'm, a I'm, very again, nice I'm speaking animation-wise, like oh, yeah, char- yeah. character animation, especially the. I will say, Sonic Adventure has my favorite bad lip flap animation I've it's ever seen. So bad. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like everyone this is, is happening. Oh my god. I had to really like yeah. If if you speak to like try to convert that speech to the mouth flaps, speak in a way that makes sense for those mouth flaps. You end up sounding sounding like Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> I was thinking like uh, Stephen Hawking's text to speech. <laughs> uh, you know what? This guy's a real one because he said the music is top notch Sonic style rock. Yeah, yeah. I which I mean, put like, it in my is, favorite Sonic soundtracks, is, but that, it's definitely what it is. Okay, excuse you, I would. Well, well, <laughs> there are some really good tracks on yeah. the Sonic Adventure soundtrack. Uh, they have crystal clear playback and nicely understated vocals. I definitely do not agree with that unless you... Well, I guess, like, yeah, it, the only vocals that are really, like, obtrusive are in the credits... So, not during gameplay. Uh, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> while the voices are good, not true. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, Sega completely ignored the lip syncing. It looked weird enough in the Japanese version, and it looks much weirder now. <laughs> I'm glad to know that that also isn't just us looking back with hindsight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Fans of the Sonic series will definitely be pleased with Sonic Adventure. It truly it, uh, carries and builds on the style of the original games. That's an interesting thing to think about, because I don't know how many Sonic fans at the time were happy with Sonic Adventure, from, like, what I've seen other people say. Fans of Sonic liked Sonic Adventure and didn't like Sonic Adventure 2, and people who came in with Sonic Adventure 2 find it hard to go back to Sonic Adventure. There's this really weird, like, split. But, uh, yeah, no. So, what, what do you think that was rated? Hmm. I'm gonna guess, based on the contemporary review and not based on how I think of it now in 2019... <laughs> I'm going to guess in the ballpark of an 8. 9.2. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I need to go fucking lie down. Oh, oh my you, god. Chris, you got me laughing like Nicki Minaj. <laughs> That's... <laughs> That's nothing. Oh lord! Um, I'm so okay. confused. So, okay, well. Okay, yeah. Right. Uh, before we wrap up, I just I I I would do want to talk about the Sonic Adventure games because like they're not good, but like I feel like they they part of the scrutiny towards them is based on the fact that like that form that formula or really any 3D Sonic formula has not really been iterated on and improved in a way that is tangible or meaningful or actually no, feels they... like an overall improvement. Yeah, they have. They have been trying very hard to find 3D Sonic gameplay that works, and they've found it a couple of times, but then invariably, like, the next game isn't doing that same thing again. Yeah. I feel like if 
in the year of our Lord 2019, God. Well, actually, okay. I feel like if Sonic 06 was actually good, like if if it had the time to be fully baked, finished, the level design was improved, like, you know, every but every bad thing about that game, if it actually Everything had... in that game needed, like, a few months more work, at least. <laughs> yeah, if it... Because, like, the story behind that game is terrible. It got, like cut funding uh people were leaving the studio all the time you know sonic and the secret rings was a uh develop was a project that was in development concurrently so if they merged that staff if they had the proper staff development time yeah. resources so- all sonic of that 06 good stuff. was a nightmare development wise yeah and if that is had- not the fault of anyone working on it if they had all of that stuff and in addition you know the time to actually if it was good because, you know, this is all hinging on the the hope that, like, Sonic 06 was the entry that put Sonic back on track. Which yeah. was what the hope for many of, many fans playing Sonic at the time. That was the hope for many of them. That this was the game that was going to put the series back on track. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fucking tragic tale. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if it did, and it was good, and it reviewed well, I don't think people would have the same ire for the adventure games that we do now just because yeah. like not only did that game tank horribly but then people went back and saw all the flaws in the old games rather than anything people might have liked about them and yeah. were like yeah okay yeah this i want to be suck too sonic, sonic adventure 2 is a lot of fun it has a lot of flaws it's far from a perfect game but i really enjoy it i think sonic adventure 2 is a good time like Again, I have I, a harder time with Sonic Adventure 1, but yeah, that is... Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, <laughs> it's it's weird how the divide goes there, and like that that might be a conversation for another day, maybe not even on this podcast. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, probably not on this podcast. This is Dylan saying, Sonic Adventure 2 might not be a great game, but Sonic Adventure 2 is a wholly unique game. Yeah. <laughs> and now with that... We should probably end the episode. Yeah, we. I, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I had fun being yeah, this, this subjected more, to these. Yeah, this was more of like an... I guess I wanted to take a trip down... Well, maybe not memory lane. I wasn't really into games culture as a kindergartner. But, uh... <laughs> oh, so you were a filthy casual then. Yes, I rented video games from my, <laughs> video, my local video rental store. Yep every friday and like you know that that was video games yep same um (laughs) but yeah so i gotta stop being distracted by this terrible castlevania plot uh, (laughs) box art (laughs) i enjoyed seeing how you kind of iterated on this idea because we we needed to find some kind of uh some kind of something for this week and i thought that another instance of spot the dud would be fun and dylan took it and ran with it and gave me a lot of laughs so yeah i guess like i just i kind of i'm i'm fascinated by kind of the mentality of reviewers of 20 years ago and thinking about like what did we as i don't want to say a culture because that sound that makes me curdle inside (laughs) we as a society what or i guess like what did people who were into games culture uh what did they value (laughs) what did they look at uh what did you know, um, and, you know, how hindsight uh, has kind of looked at that. But anyway, yeah. that's that's all I wanted to to do. So I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed this ride I took you on. I know it wasn't what you were expecting. No, I, um, I enjoyed it a lot, and I hope that you out there enjoyed it. 
Thank you again for listening to Backstage Gaming. We hope you enjoyed listening to us. We hope you'll join us again next week, Monday, every Monday. We are here talking about games in some way. And <laughs> you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. We also have our website at bsgpod.com where you can get in touch with us if you want. We've got info about the two of us. We've got a kind of glossary of theater terms that we sometimes refer to. And you, if you like the show, please do consider sharing it with your friends, with your family. Uh, if you know the artisan who wrote that 23-year-old uh, Super Mario 64 review, send it to them. I would love to. Oh, God. I need to know. <laughs> I need to know them and be their best friend. And if you like what we're doing, consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes. That'll help us grow as well. Um, if you want to hit us up on social media, you should find us on Facebook, on Twitter. Our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And you can also find us on YouTube. If you like what we talk about, if you want to engage with us in any way, you should use the hashtag BSGpod. Also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for the key art he has provided our show with. If you like what he's what he's doing, you should check him out at his Squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is b-r-e-n-n-e-n-french.squarespace.com. You can also find him on instagram.com slash brennanfrencharts. You should also go show some love to our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. If you like that, you'll probably like the rest of his very cool electronica sort of music. And you can find all of his music by going to soundcloud.com slash bioquery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by searching for bioquery on Spotify. Thank you, as always, to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network and for letting us be a part of that sort of family of video game podcasts. If you like what we do, you'll probably like a lot of those other shows, and you can find them being retweeted at HPVG Pod Network on Twitter. And thank you to all of our patrons. This is, as always, all your fault, and we hope that you're proud of what you've done. And if you also want this to be your fault, patreon.com slash bsgpod is the best way to support us directly and we appreciate every single one of you that does that's all i've got for this week dylan anything to to leave people off with nah i really don't have anything that's fair goodbye I, everybody I, I spent it all i spent it all plugging uh sonic adventure 2 bye-bye <laughs> <laughs>